Enga mana ingario, no mai haramai kitine hotaka a tiahika. Rungoa Māori, or the practice of harnessing the healing properties of native plants, is part of the customary practice within Tiao Māori. Balms and ointments made from the kawakawa plant or tonics made from kumaraho are examples of Rungoa Māori. Rob McGowan, or Pāropata, as most people call him, is a Rungoa Māori practitioner. He's taught many students over the years. He runs a nursery. He's written books about plants, trees and bird life. He's a repository of knowledge, having first been taught by Whanganui Kuia Rua Hinare in the mid-1970s. From these teachings, Pāropata says, to be given a treasure, you are given a responsibility. This week's show is from the Tiahika Archive Vault. Jerem Svetanovich visited Pāropata at his home, in Tauranga. I'm in a rainy patch of bush on a small block of land near Tauranga, in the Bay of Plenty. With me is Rob McGowan a teacher of Rongoa Māori. Rob runs workshops on traditional Māori medicine in this block, and they all begin with a karakia. Rob is Pākehā. Over the last 20 years, he's run courses on Rongo. He's also dedicated himself to preserving and restoring the bush as the healing cloak of the land. It has become a life mission. Sure, a little piece of paradise in here. A little piece of paradise. And the thing is, see, a karakia connects us. Connects us to the whenua, connects us to the people who have been here a long, long time ago. You know, uh, but I don't think we should get too connected today because we're going to get washed away. <laughs> That's good. But, but you know, uh, when we get a big rain here, there'll be a river running through here. You know, uh, the whole purpose of the vegetation is to stop the hillside from ending up in the river. Sure. You know, but if you look into that bush, see, that should be full of, of, of um, supplejack. Gone. You know. And Supplejack feeds the, the kereru because the berries are always there. So uh, the kereru can't live here because they've got no food when nothing else is around. You know, it's all those connections that we've got to, you know, it's like going off to town without, in your kilt without your underpants, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're vulnerable. <laughs> and and, and, and so, so often I'm saying to people, in terms of restoration, our bush has got no underpants. And everyone gets the message, you know, because <laughs> it's these secondary species that enable these big species to thrive. Rob says native plants are disappearing at an alarming rate. Up the path is his nursery, where he propagates many of the plants he needs. Nursery is firstly to, one, revegetate this place, two, to, because I haven't got time to get the plants I use for medicine, I decide I'd grow them. And so most of the plants that I need are actually growing here. The second thing about the nursery is 
to grow plants for our care group. And because some of them are a little bit tricky, um, I do a lot of the propagating here. And up the top of the valley here, about 3k from here, is the Kaiti Falls, which is a spectacular set of waterfalls. And uh, I suppose the big aim is uh, to make our little Waitau stream safe so the kids can actually swim in it. And and so we're making good progress with that. Right. So it's it's basically um, in our own sort of backyard sort of way, buying into that that big vision that so many New Zealanders have to actually bring back the birds, uh, bring back the white bait. Uh, bring back the things that we actually treasure and through the community group that does the work bring back the whole idea of a rural community Can we have a bit of a look at some of the, yeah, the things yeah, you've got here? Yeah. Another reason for this site here is as many different species as I can fit into it so that people can actually get to know them to see the differences and, and really switch them on so that they know what they're walking past so recognising recognizing what them. you're dealing with. Yeah, because you could be an expert in killing possums, but how do you know in actual fact that you're achieving anything? By seeing what's coming back when the possums yeah. go. Yeah. And by, see that's a little fuchsia on the ground. New Zealand has a distinction of having the biggest fuchsia in the world, it's the kotukutuku, you know, those lovely berries that you can eat, and the smallest. It's a ground cover. Right, because I'm looking at it and think it's, thinking it's a weed, Rob. Indeed, indeed, indeed. <laughs> a weed is a plant that grows where you don't want it. You know, so Pinus radiata can be a weed or it can be New Zealand's biggest export. You know, uh, Manuka can be a weed or the thing that's going to make you rich. You know, it, it's all a matter of perception. And to me, a weed is a plant that's actually out of place, you know, the whole natural world should be in a balance. If one species becomes dominant, that's normally an indication that the place is out of balance and something's going wrong. So it can be a symptom of of, of uh, ecological deterioration, shall we say. Rob's interest in the bush goes back to an experience he had when he was still very young. I've always been a, a plant person. You know, I've always said this. The beginning for me is going for a walk up north as a five-year-old with, with um, one of those old Tarara gentlemen up Mount Auckland, which is up uh, north of, uh, of Kokopakopa. Uh, Pukiato, I think, may be the name for it. Because it's called Mount Auckland because at night time you could see the lights of Auckland. <laughs> this is back in the early 50s, you know. And on the way up he stopped and he came to a Nico Palm pulled off all the branches and got this white stalk out the middle and gave us a piece to eat. And it was lovely. Uh, and I've never got over it. You know, uh, I've never ever eaten it since because it does kill the tree. But that really was the thing that made me aware of what's around me. In the 1960s, Rob started his training for the priesthood. His first posting was to work with local people in Whanganui. It was here that his real education about the bush began. Um, they told me that my first job was to learn to speak Māori. How did that work? Well, I was staying in the presbytery in Wanganui, and they were making pupus. And I thought, well, that'll be the old ladies making the pupus. And um, and that's where you hear the Māori spoke, so I decided I'd go and help them. 
And then uh, the story was who was going to go up the flax to get go up the river to get the flax for making the pupus. Who's going to take Auntie Rua up there? And in those days in Wangan, this is the mid seventies. Virtually everybody, all the men had jobs in the season, either freezing works or shearing or whatever. There were no men available to take Auntie up the river. And here was this priest with a car. So I got the job of taking Auntie Rua Henare up to Ranana to collect, cut flax. So she taught me how to cut flax and how to grow flax and all of those things just by and by. And, uh, and then it came to the whole idea of, uh, we've got to dye these. So who's going to take Auntie up the bush to actually get the barks for the dye? So I got that job too, because I knew the plants that she wanted anyway. And so I went up there and I learned how to, what plants to get, how to harvest them, and all that sort of stuff. Tell me about this uh, this lady. She uh, she had quite a big part to play in yes. your life. Oh, very much so. She's Rua Henare. The Henare's at a Pipiriki. There's one of the girls that was in the... Um, is it a netball team up until recently? Uh, that's the Henari family, and there was a the Tupuna Henari Kereminita was a very, he was the first Anglican minister for the Wainu River, and a very knowledgeable man. And uh, an Auntie Rua was the person that actually carried that knowledge. So she was a very significant lady in terms of those river people. And so when it came to the whole art of pupu making, especially the dyeing and things like this, she was the person who was there. Um, but uh, it's it's clear uh, anyone meeting you that uh, you're Pākehā. Yep. And um, I'm wondering, uh, I mean, how did you get in, into the whare in terms of the knowledge? Well, you don't really even know those things because I, I remember a turning point for me uh, going into the bush to collect hino bark, and hino is a is a mature forest sort of tree, not an early forest, and uh, the bark is really quite hard to get, and it only grows in certain places. And going into the bush at Atene with Auntie Rua to collect the hino, and I said to her, "It's me, young fellow in my twenties with my machete. I'll cut you a track, Auntie." And she said. Um, no, 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 I'll be all right. You look after yourself. I said, I said, okay, okay. Well, within a minute, she was way up the hill, and here was me slaving my way through the, the, the supple jack trying to cut a track. And I thought, well, how can this lady who's 50 years older than me move through the bush easier than I can? So I, she waited for me, and I finally caught up with her, and then I watched her watched how she moved through those vines. And when she saw that I was watching her, I think that's when she decided to teach me. You know, because uh, the thing about it was, uh, who was a safe person to teach? You have to be a person that can tell one plant from the next. Because she told me that uh, she destroyed her father's book with all his writings and because she was scared that someone would read the book, not know the plants and poison somebody, you know. And she realized that I had a certain degree of knowledge about the bush and that I could tell one plant from the next. 
And so it got to the stage if she needed, someone came to her for for Rongwa, she would ring me up and say, next time you're going past such and such, will you collect such and such? And I would actually collect the leaves she wanted. Normally I'd leave them on on her back porch on the door handle in a plastic bag because often she was away working. She's still working as a cook for a shearing gang. But gradually, gradually, she started to deliberately teach me. And, 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 and that's how the journey began. It's, it's a series of coincidences. What do you uh, think made Auntie Rua uh, be of a mind to, uh, to share her knowledge with you? Well, for one thing was I was a priest, you know, um, and, and that, for the people on the river, that, that was something very, very significant. You understood the spiritual? Yeah. Because, you know, the foundation of, of traditional Māori medicine isn't plants. It's wairua. And, and, and they used to say to me, because I was always asking questions about plants, and they say, what do you want to know about plants for? You already got the main medicine. And, and it actually uh, took me a long time to realise what they said. You know, some people learn because they're told and they remember, and other people learn the hard way. I'm really good on that score. Were you conscious of being given a treasure and, and needing to look after it and be careful how you passed it on yourself? Very much so. You're given a treasure, you're given a responsibility. Um, that when I left Wanganui, uh the old ladies were very, very clear. What you have comes from us, comes from the river. You are not to share with anyone who does not hook up up back to the Wanganui River. And for quite some years, I I stuck to that very very strictly. And it was only after here in Tauranga when Tikiria Tikiria so asked me to teach the people here, some of his people from Ngati Hangaro. Uh, you know, then I went back and asked them. That's only then that I started to teach because what they said to me was, you be very careful uh, because people will take the knowledge from you and throw you away like a bit of waste paper. Those are more or less the exact words. And and, and so at least I was within the context of Wanganui, those people would look after, would, would, would protect me because when you carry knowledge, there's pressure put on you, there's a demand put on you, and and um, I guess they want not wanting me to go into areas where I didn't have support. But but just in, just in practical terms, Rob, are there medicines in the bush that 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 everyone are allowed, you know, Parker and Maori? Oh yeah. yeah Give me examples. Well, look, early days, if you're living on the land, you know things. You know, for example. Picking asparagus in Hawke's Bay, and you get go through the stinging nettle. You you get a, a dock leaf and scrunch it up and rub it onto your stinging nettle. I mean, if you've got a toothache, you can actually make a little wad out of a kawakawa and chew on it, or scrunch up the leaves and rub it onto your skin. The flax jelly or the mamaku shoot for for sunburn. There there are so many practical sorts of things that people do. You know, cobweb for a cut. Have you ever tried that? 
you know, if you get cut, you put a cob with it. Not only does it stop the bleeding, but it actually anesthetizes, it, it, it sterilizes the wound. You don't get infection, even if there's flies and all sorts of insects stuck in the cobweb. It's amazing how, how it heals. Now, I suppose everybody that lived in the landscape knew a whole lot of things about what to do when you have a little incident or you get sick and things like this. Kotomikal, uh, when you got the runs, you know, diarrhoea. And, you know, aside from those quick remedies, yeah. uh, were, were there other remedies like, uh, were there remedies that were a little bit more, you know, significant for more yeah. bigger injuries? Um, to understand the Rungwa, you need to understand the world in which Rungwa sort of developed. Uh, lots of the sicknesses which are common now did not exist in pre-European New Zealand, so there's no cure for the measles and things like this. And so, like any anything, you, you'd uh, adapt and extend what you know to meet the new realities that you're faced with. But in pre-European model, a lot of skin conditions because people lived in the houses they had, and so lots and lots of treatments for that. Uh, very active people outside, lots of treatment for broken bones, for um, all those falls and breaks and injuries, uh, very, very much there. Lots of chest complaints, so again, that was something that were natural for And as things have developed, um, there were ways of responding to quite chronic conditions. So you, uh, do you do you use it on a daily basis for yourself and your family? Um, on a regular basis, not on a daily basis. Like when springtime comes through, I will usually cook up the kumaraho and drink that because it seems to doesn't take away the hay fever, but it reduces the the energy of it. Depending really what the need is, mingy mingy for for chesty things. If I've if I've got chest issues, I'll normally put mingy mingy with the kumaraho because um, it seems to add a little bit extra. They all got their own special ways. So basically, uh, you started off as a Catholic priest. Were given this gift of knowledge and the language at the same time. Yep. How do you view yourself in that world? I'm just me, and. Uh, and I have something to offer, so I share it. When you've got knowledge, my obligation is to keep that knowledge safe and to ensure that it's passed on. I can do my little bit, and and that's what it is. Have you ever been? Have you ever felt as a Pākehā, You know, have you been conscious of your identity as Pākehā? Oh, very much so. In a Māori world. Well, the thing about it is that often. You encounter Māori who resent the fact that, that that you have knowledge that they don't have, and sometimes people get really quite nasty about that, and, and you just have to accept that. And and often it's people who are not happy within themselves, or whatever. But and and all you can say is, well, if you if you walk the journey that I've had to walk, you would know. Are you prepared to to pay the price? Are you prepared to be in the bush learning when all your mates are at a party? You know, are you prepared for the loneliness of really learning and deep going deep into those things? Uh, if you're not prepared to walk that journey, well, don't criticise those that do. 
You know, that, that, uh, the only way to become good at something is to put your heart and soul into it. You're feeling positive? Yes and no. Yes, because there are certainly very able people, but somehow we've got to create the opportunity for those people to learn. And, you know, I can think of, like, um, some of the young mothers who are really, really gifted people. Uh, their responsibility is to their children. Or another person I can have in mind, uh, her first thing is she's got to earn enough money to keep alive. You know, I'd love to take some of these people and have the resources to really give them the chance to put their heart and soul into it because, uh, you know, with some of these young ones, really what I want to do is teach them as best I can and let them loose on the world. So I, I'm still not sure that in 50 years' time, um, Rungwa Māori will exist as we know it now. Some aspects of it will, but uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I do very much know that the, the key to it all is connection to the Tuenua. It's not just the physical owning of things, it's the actual spiritual connection to that gift of life which comes out of the youth. Has that experience given you also a better understanding of, but you know, a, a, better, a much better understanding than most Pākehā of, of Māori issues, of the Māori world? Well, it's, the whole, to me, Rungwa Māori isn't uh, knowledge, it's a way of living and a way of belonging to the world. It's sort of given me an understanding that probably it's been an unusual pathway, I suppose, that the it took me many, many years to realise that the foundation of the Rungwa Māori wasn't rākau, wasn't plants, it was it was wairua. And when I finally started to get that, then the whole thing started to come together. The, the fundamental sickness of the human race stems from its... L- loss of connection to the whenua, to the land. That as a, as a species, we have a, a, an amazing ability to forget that our gift of life comes from the earth and that if we don't look after the earth, uh, we have no future. You know, my journey, I suppose, in Te Ao Māori, um, has made me realise that much, much more than ever. You know, the, the, the way, the water, the water must be well for us to be well. We must not do things to the earth that will hurt the water. Those are, those are the most fundamental lessons that the human race needs to realise and that the most urgent thing we've got to do is help people of today realise that. You know, had you ever imagined that, that you'd be in in this in this world now that's so familiar with Te Ao Māori? Oh, gracious no. It, it, it's, it's just an amazing journey. The whole thing is you plan your life and then you your life is dictated by the realities that you encounter. And um, what I'm learning about you know, Te Ao Māori and everything in, in my involvement, the more you know, the all you're really learning is how much you don't know that people might say, oh, you're such a knowledgeable person. And I say, well, actually, compared to the people that I knew, I'm, I'm just a nobody. You know, that we've just got remnants. Back outside, the rain's easing. These days, a lot of Rob's energy 
goes into Ngā Whenua Rahui, a project aimed at protecting indigenous bush on Māori land. But one of his pressing concerns is the need to find ways to keep the tradition of rongoa Māori alive. We run courses, we've been doing that for for over 20 years, and and have taught thousands and thousands of people, Uh, but I'm not sure that we're succeeding in in the long term. And so over the last couple of years, uh, what we've been doing is um, asking people who we feel have, have the have the right gifts, should we say. We are focusing more on people who can actually carry on that role of keeping the knowledge alive and, and connecting people back to the land is, is one of the key parts to it. And are there young people around that are that are showing the right set of skills and interests? Oh, this amazing. One of the... The thing that's been amazing to me over the last 12 months is how many people have come up to me and saying words to the effect, I can hear the land calling me. People are beginning to sort of get a feeling that they urgently need to do something more about looking after the landscape. It's, you know, there's always been those sort of people, but I, I just can't believe just how much that's happening. That, that I think that that um, there is there's something afoot, whereby people are beginning to sort of uh, get a feeling that they urgently need to do something more about looking after the landscape. And all I can say is, I'm, I, I'm just amazed. From the Tiahika Archive Vault, Jerem Svetanovich with Pa Ropata, Rungoa Māori practitioner. Now that interview was part of a fuller series produced by Jerem about Pākehā whose work revolves around Te Ao Māori and the knowledge and customs that are an inherent part of that. Kua tai tātou ki te mutinga o tēnei wahanga, that's the show for another week. Nō reire te whānau, hoki mai a te rātapu e tū mai nei Māori tū, Māori ora. Thank you.